Welcome to the Sunday session on NRL.com. We are here to wrap up round 13, the split round, the buy round. My name is Chris Kennedy. My regular co-host, Kenny Scott, will be joining me very shortly. But uh, first of all, I'm, it's my great pleasure to welcome after a chat this week from the St. George Illawarra Dragons front rower, Daniel Alvaro. Dan, thank you for being here. Hey, mate. Thanks for having us. All right. Um, I guess plenty of good stuff to, to talk about. We'll dive straight into it. That win over the Broncos, uh, 52 points to, to 24. A couple of losses in a row for you guys before that. So it must have been just a, a huge relief to, to put in such a comprehensive performance on the weekend. Yeah, no, it definitely was. We've been through a bit of a rough couple of weeks with a, um, a couple of tough losses and uh, with a lot of a lot of blokes missing. But yeah, to get that result at Cogra on the weekend is really good. And, um, you know, we really sucked it up. The uh, Broncos really put it to you early on. I think 18 points to 12. They led fairly late um, in the first half, but pretty much all one-way traffic after that. You guys were able to just, I guess, once you got that ascendancy, really put the foot down. Yeah, no, it was definitely a bit of an arm wrestle early. And then, um, yeah, we kind of just got in our groove a bit and then just yeah, ran away with it. But, um, yeah, a lot of guys play some good footy, so it always helps. Yeah, it's a, a former club for a lot of a lot of you blokes. Obviously, Anthony Griffin was there. You know, Corey Norman, Ben Hunt, Andrew McCulloch, Jared Beal, and I think you were even in the the Broncos system as a young fellow before the Eels snapshot, weren't you? Yeah, I did all my development um, uh, through their sort of junior systems and pathways and stuff. And um, yeah, played a bit of twenties with Broncos. Never never played first grade, but um, yeah, did all my juniors down there. We, um, us journos, had a chat to Birdie in the sheds afterwards. He was um, joking about his, uh, his his foot speed in that chugging away to the, the try line in the, the first half there. But he also said he uh, it was good for him personally to sort of, you know, the way he left Brisbane, good to get a win over his, his former club. Was there a bit of a sense among the team with so many former Broncos there that this was one you guys were going to be particularly up for? Um, oh, I don't know if, if that was sort of um, a massive motivation. I think everyone just wanted to play really well. Like, uh, we've got a really good group and we just like I said before, we've been through a tough couple of weeks, so we were really chasing the win. And um yeah, just to, to get that one on the boys were all up for because we knew how sort of important that win would be for us. So going forward, building in the next few weeks. So I think that was probably the bigger motivator and um yeah, everyone was definitely up for it. For sure. I mean, you mentioned that it was at Cogra. I think it was Hook who said in the, the press conference that the last game at Cogra was that 13-12 to 12 loss to the Sharks, a game that you guys obviously, you know, were, were right in for, was it 80-something minutes and, and would have felt you were a huge chance of winning as obviously um, a, a disappointment for the, the players and for the fans. So to, to turn that around for the home fans at Cogra, I assume, was pretty special as well. Yeah, no, definitely. To lose that one sort of a golden point, especially after the effort we sort of put in and um, so the adversity we had in those couple of weeks prior and that week, um, yeah, it really hurt to lose that one. So, um, yeah, that, that was definitely a motivator for us going into the Broncos game. And, um, yeah, just glad we could do it just for us and the fans. What about talk about the fans? Us journo's are waiting for the press conferences to start, which is kind of on that middle tier. Um, the, the room's just above the race where the players come off, and we were looking out at the players coming off the field one by one. And the, the fans, you know, it wasn't a, a huge, um, a huge crowd in terms of numbers, but they were making a lot of noise and just sort of an absolute standing ovation for pretty much every player uh, coming off the field. They they were right into it. The um, the the Cogra faithful. Yeah, no, they, they were out and they were so supportive. We, we really appreciate that. We love playing for them and, and for them to sort of receive us like that after that win, it was, um, yeah, really meant a lot. So I know all the boys um, really appreciate it. Mm. What about yourself, 
this year, mate. Obviously, um, you know, had some some really good times at the Eels. You, you come out to the Dragons for you know a, another chance and a, a fresh start. I think you've played every game this year. You're playing some some consistent footy. You must be pretty happy with how you're going. Um, yeah, always looking to try and um, play a bit better. But yeah, I think I'm going okay. And I'm just really enjoying my footy. I love, I love um, being down at the Dragons. It's a really group of boys. The coaches are really good. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just really enjoying my time here and I'm trying to play the best I can. And um, yeah, I love my footy at the moment. What about, I mean, that's it's a pretty strong middle you've got when everyone's uh, available. Obviously, Moose off on a, a suspension at the moment, but you got DeBellin back from um, obviously a long layoff on the weekend. He had just that little bit of quality um, through the middle. And then you, you look at guys like, you know, Vaughn and some up and comers, you know, Ellis and, and Ford, some of these younger guys. It's, um, you know, it's a pretty handy pack once everyone's available. Yeah, mate, it definitely is. I've got plenty of competition for spots, and I think that's going to be a massive sort of um, advantage for us going into the back end of the year. And, I uh, we're getting a fair few boys back these next couple of weeks and, and that'll be huge for us. And hopefully everyone stays fit and we can really sort of shake it up at the back end of the year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously it was such a good start to the year for you boys. And then obviously things sort of tailed off a little bit. Could this, you know, putting putting 50 points on hopefully be the little, I guess, trigger or, or turning point that, that sparks you guys back into top form? Oh, hopefully, mate. We, we kind of don't think too much into that. We just try to take it sort of week to week. Um, I know we've got the Bulldogs next week and we're expecting that to be another tough game. Um, and yeah, but yeah, hopefully we can get a bit of confidence in that and just keep rolling forward and keep building it towards the back end of the year. What about the Bulldogs? I know it's still, um, you know, it's only only Sunday. You've got a, a full week still to prepare for it. But they're one of those teams that, you know, I think have only won one game all year. They've obviously been doing it tough, but they've, um, you know, even the, the first half... Um, Last week, Penrith, they were, um, you know, they were really competitive. They were, I think they were, you know, down by four points or whatever it was, pretty close to, to half time, four or six points against the best team in the competition. They're one of those teams that even though they're not getting wins, they're, they're sort of making life tough for, for opponents. You had a chance to think about them and the, and the challenge they're going to pose? Um, well, we're, we're kind of getting away from footy for the weekend, but we'll get back into Australia on Monday. Yep. But um, yeah, no, they're definitely, we won't be taking them lightly. There's sort of no easy games. Um, uh, in the NRL, so we won't definitely be taking them lightly. And yeah, like you said, they're troubling a lot of teams and um, putting a bit of a funny game, so we'll have to make sure we're not going for them. Luckily, um, they can still play some good footy and be a really tough team to beat at times, so uh, we'll make sure we're ready for them. Is that the advantage of a Thursday night game, is that you potentially do get a, a few days just to, um, I guess, take your mind off footy for a little bit and, and unwind? Yeah, no, definitely. Like, it's sort of our longest turnaround of the year so far. And um, I know the boys will make the most of it and try and get away and spend some time with their families and refresh a little bit and um, come back in and sort of build it in the next week and then the rest of the year. So you don't, you don't get too many chances throughout the year, so you've got to take them and you can get them. I obviously... Um... Big one coming up on, on Wednesday night with the, the State of Origin. I assume growing up in, in Brisbane, you're a, a proud Maroon? No, no, I grew up in the Southern Islands. I'm, I'm a blue. Oh, of true. course. Yeah, my bad. Uh, Heaven's research. So you, um, you'd be doubly motivated for New South Wales, given that uh, Big Taz is making his return to the, the Interstate Arena as well as, um, you know, your own loyalties. Yeah, 100%. I'm so stoked to see him in there. He's been playing some good footy for us and, to see him get that reward, and um, I think he's going to do a great job. I think he's going to have a blinder, so I can't wait to watch him play. Mate, it's um, absolutely outstanding stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday session on NRL.com, and uh, good luck for the Bulldogs next weekend. No worries. Thanks, Legend. Have a good one. I want to now dial in my regular co-pilot, Kenny Scott, to talk through the rest of the weekend. Uh, Kenny, how are you going? 
doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a buy a buy round, so only four games, but I guess that means we have to savor the flavor for what we get. We just have to talk twice as much about each game, or <laughs> that's right. Um, strap yourselves in. <laughs> strap yourselves in some in-depth analysis. Um, we will start off with the uh, Knights and the Eels, uh, which finished uh, just before we started this podcast. Forty points to four, Parramatta over Newcastle. A big response from them after two pretty dire performances back to back over the past fortnight. But um, old boys' day up in the Hunter, uh, you know, a sunny Sunday afternoon. I know they were missing a lot of players, but. Yeah, it's uh, not great for the home fans. Yeah, really disappointing, right? Like old boys' day is one of those one of those days in Newcastle folklore where it doesn't matter how poorly the team's doing. Old boys' days, everybody old, on old boys' day, everybody turns up. The team usually does well. I reckon they wrote their own, like you know, they dug their own graves with this because it was old boys' day, and I think it was also they did some sort of reunion with the two thousand and one grand yep. final, uh, and I think uh, there was a Parramatta. I think they sort of let Parramatta come and join in that reunion as well. So I, I, I think, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that being, you know, uh, finally Parramatta get a toast, of, get a get a taste of revenge for what happened to them 20 years ago on grand final <laughs> night. And that's what inspired them to that win. So I reckon they shot themselves in the foot there. But I, I just think, I don't know what's, like, I don't know what's going wrong with Newcastle. They were terrible in this game. I thought they, they you were just, there were patches where, honestly had no idea how Newcastle were, were, were going to score a point. They just didn't, their attack just had had nothing. It was really surprising. I, I've been a real like strong defender of Newcastle this season. I think they're much better than their position shows, but after, I mean, they've got, I know they're missing some key players. They've got like a lot of injury and, a, and all that sort of stuff, but it was just, um, I, I, it just looked like they didn't, didn't really know what they were supposed to do. I know, you know, it was Jake Clifford's first game in the halves, mid-season transfer, and it's going to take some time for that to gel as well. But really disappointing stuff uh, from the home team there. I don't really know what their fans would make of that one, but I know they'll be upset, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, the, the players and the coach won't want to use it as an excuse, but they were just missing so many players. Like, Clemmer suspended, Frizzell injured, and Sofidi on origin duty all came out of that pack from last week, which is the pack was what sort of was so good against... Manly, and that that just made a, a huge difference. You're throwing, you know, Mitchell Pierce still out, you know, Edric Lee and Heimel Hunt on the wings. Ponger obviously um, would have been in in Queensland camp if he wasn't still going through that um, groin injury. It's just so much strike, and just in really key positions uh, as well made it tough. I thought um, Clifford, I thought tried really hard, which I mean, you kind of always expect a player on the NRL field to try hard. I hope so. But I mean, he did look enthusiastic. You certainly couldn't question his commitment, but thing, it just wasn't happening for him. But I mean, he's only just got there, what, less than two weeks ago. I don't know how many sessions that equates to, but he can't possibly have the, the full run of, you know, getting into everyone's systems. Then you throw on top of that, playing behind a, a very understrength pack that was just pretty much steamrolled the whole time. I don't really know that there's a whole lot. I mean, he could have had some some better options and some better kicks, but I mean, Jake Clifford having a, a great game wasn't going to win them that one with with how badly they lost it on the rest of the field. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there were good good signs of Clifford. Those massive bombs he's putting up, I thought they were they'll they'll yield fruit uh, in no time. And you're right, fitting into into systems and, and just gelling with the other players. I, I um I, I you know this loss is, does doesn't fall at the feet of, of Clifford alone, that's for sure. Um, but I thought that Parramatta were, were surprisingly excellent. I didn't expect them to be as good as they were there. I think what have they just got Paulo out from uh, for origin duty and that's about it. So otherwise basically full strength. 
Um, and they just looked just so much faster than the Newcastle, so much more aggressive. Um, their like support play was just outstanding. Every single time a new a Parramatta player met a Newcastle player, there was a Parramatta player in support, like in a better position to give the ball to. And it just, it just, you know, they just rolled up the field that way. Um, yeah, it was really, really, really good stuff. Uh, I think from Parramatta other than uh, what's the injury to Reed Marty towards the end, which I guess yeah. is quite troubling. I mean, I saw that it was a classic pectoral rupture mechanism, the way he sort of had the arm out and then the arm sort of bent back and the immediately reeling out of it, grabbing that shoulder pec region. And I instantly went, well, that's three months for, for Reed on the sidelines. And then um, Jake Duke down on the sidelines says, um, yeah, he got the report in. Apparently it's shoulder, not pec, which if it's shoulder and it's only a minor you know, subluxation, I think they call it, or you know, minor tweak or a dislocation or whatever it is, then he might only miss you know, two weeks or, or something like that. I think that would be best case from where we are now for, for Eels fans. And worst case is that 12 to 14 week um, pec rupture, which is obviously, you know, one they can easily cover and one's really going to sort of hurt hurt their season. Um, probably makes him unlikely to play Origin either way. I mean, if something happens to Harry Grant, whether he's available for game two or any chance of forcing his way into the 17 for game three, I don't know. But yeah, certainly his involvement in the next few weeks has to be under a pretty major cloud, which is uh, massive for Parramatta given um, it's Joey Lussick's next cab off the rank and Nathaniel Roach has done some good stuff in, in reserve grade this year, but neither is uh, neither of them is Reed Barney. Yeah, exactly. No disrespect to those two next men up using air quotes. Um, I'm sure they'll do a fine job, but Reed Marty certainly brings an X factor, has a has a brings a, a spark to the team that, um, yeah, that he's become well known for, and you know gave him that that uh, crack at Origin this year. I think it's quite disappointing that he's not in that Origin squad. To be honest, I think he probably should have got not yeah. out of Harry Grant, and not to sort of sidetrack the chat. Um, but yeah, I do think missing, yeah, Parramatta without him for a couple of weeks will really, really, they'll struggle to to replace him. They'll struggle to um, to to do as well without him. That's for sure. Mm. I thought the play for Queensland was probably to start Reed and then just inject Harry off the bench where he was so dynamic in, in game three last year and has been so good for the Storm this year. I mean, they're going to need him to play 80 or close to it and he hasn't done that at all this year. Anyway, getting sidetracked. Um, still on the eels, though, um, with absolutely no disrespect at all to um, young Jacob Arthur, who I think is going to be a very good first grader when he, he fills out a bit. Um, I think three consecutive games in first grade, he was starting to get worked out a, a little bit. Um, in defence, he's still obviously you know, only a teenager and, and still got some um, some bulk to put on. But Dylan Brown back into the team, I think, showed how badly Parramatta missed him, in particular the last two weeks. Um, just looking at his stat line across the 80 minutes, 228 run metres for a player in the halves. Like, you don't... Fullbacks don't, don't tend to get that with, what, four tackle busts and just heavy involvement, um, 250 kick metres as well, just really great support play. I think you mentioned at the top sort of every time there was a half break, there were players pushing up in support and Brown, if he wasn't making the half break, he was, he was supporting them. And um, he's also, I don't know if he gets enough credit for it. He's probably the best defensive half in the NRL at the moment. He certainly, if you go, I've looked at this a lot, just crunching the numbers on the origin teams and possible selections the past couple of weeks. If you go by tackle percentage, the absolute top tier halves who aren't Dylan Brown, all around that 87, 88%, which is Cleary and Luai, Jack White, and um, I think DCE is pretty high up, but, you know, um, Cam Monster goes quite well. And then, um, you know, filters down, a lot of them are below 80%, and Dylan Brown's up at 93%. So he's <laughs> tackle effective. He's head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of sticking his tackles, which... Um, 
and often makes uh, the Eels had all the running today, and he didn't need to make 40 tackles, but often makes 35, 38 tackles uh, a game as well. It was um, it was insights that you provide like that that I'm pretty sure convinced Brad Filler to pick uh, Luai in the, the Hiles for New South Wales. I, I know like to think it was. Yeah, I know he's an avid listener of this podcast, and that was a you, you brought out some stats like that a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, good insights. Well, that was when I was basically trying to make the point. There was a bit of a narrative going around that you pick White in the head of Luai because he's a bigger body and more solid in defence. And my counterpoint was that Luai actually is one of the best defensive halves in the NRL. But um, you know, I think that's probably about it for the uh, Eels and the Knights moving ahead to uh, the Saturday night game. The Storm and the Titans, 20 points to 14 up on um, the Sunshine Coast. Storm obviously missing a lot of players. Titans not missing as many, but missing some really key men, particularly from the forward pack, plus AJ Brimson, who's quite critical to their attacking structures at the back. Um, had enough opportunities to probably win three games of rugby league, the Gold Coast, but um, in the end, the, the Storm, there, as is their recent habit, just um, papered over all the, the players that are missing and the you know next man up in air quotes. Yeah, there we go. Got next the job up. done. <laughs> yeah, I think... The Storm played well enough to get away with the win, but man, the, the Titans really like you know look in the mirror, whatever you want, have a have a long hard look at yourselves because they they lost this game in my opinion. They desperately needed to get their season back on track after that pretty poor showing at Coffs Harbour um, the week before. You know they were in it, um, but what there was at least three times um, what Kelly on the wing held a pass. I'm oh, sorry, the centers held a pass rather than sending it when he needed to, and that was. Three tries, three tries went begging. That left edge had so many opportunities. They just didn't capitalise on whether it was a ill-timed pass or a forward pass or a you know a held pass. You know, considering that they let in two really pretty soft tries in the back end of the first half, and they lost the game by six. They either you know defend at least one of those tries or score at least four of the ones that they let go on the, on the left and they would have won that game. So um, I think it's, yeah, they, they're missing some pretty key personnel through to origin, but so were the storm. Um, it was, it was a game they really should have won in, in my opinion. And they, um, I think they let themselves down a bit. Uh, and I think it really, like it just makes this, this season that more um, precarious because I'm pretty sure they're coming about, 10th now although I don't know if um I don't know if all the buyer points have been awarded yet so that probably uh, puts the ladder off kilter a little bit but I don't think they're faring too well after this round so um yeah things could get a bit testy for them yeah I mean you talk about the missed opportunities there was one in particular from Brian Kelly it was two on two out on the flank and he had the run and the dummy that actually drew the winger in so he created the gap for Philip Sammy had both defenders on him all he had to do was pass it and he took the tackle and you see on the replay, Sammy like throws his hands up in the air, like, what are you doing? Um, and then I think it might've been Sammy in that very last play that actually created, like they're sort of looking for the Hail Mary down by six points with the, the clock had already run out and um, created a bit of space again on that left edge. I think it might've been Sammy that fired the wild pass that went um, into touch, but yeah, some, some absolutely golden chances um, went begging. For the Storm, though, um, I mean, the, the the Titans scored first. Actually, before we do the Storm, I wanted to talk about Greg Marshew, the, the Titans winger, because he, um, you know, his really, really dominant sort of 20s career was at um, Para for a few years playing Carp and had a, an untimely injury that sort of knocked his confidence around. He's 24 now, and he's been a really likely sort of contender for a long time and just never quite got the chance. And I think finished up with 150 plus meters and scored the first try of the game, um, formerly known as Greg Lillessier, for those who uh, may not be familiar with the name Greg Marshew, but um, really good to see him finally get a, a debut and hopefully he gets a few more. 
Well, I, like with stats like that, he'll probably Melbourne will probably poach him to replace Nico Hines, and they'll just put him through the machine. And there you go, another superstar. Could well do. Um, just on the storm, though, obviously after Mars Hughes' early try, they um, they got back into it through probably more than anyone else was um, Jerome Hughes and Brandon Smith. So even with all the players missing, they've got a couple of superstar um, players in, in the spine to just come up with those clutch plays and um, and get them on the front foot. Well, like I mean, it's it's no great insight to say that uh, Bellamy has planned the Melbourne Storm system very well, but like they've just got the perfect mix of the right balance of rep players. So, you know, you're missing a you miss a, a stack from Origin, that's fine. You've still got your New Zealand and Pacific representatives <laughs> there to hold the fort. So, you know, <laughs> well done to them. Like I said, no, no great insight, but yeah, I mean, Jerome Jerome Hughes, we've spoken about it before. He's really he's having a great year and he's really establishing himself as a dominant, a dominant half, um, you know, great long-term half in New Zealand as well. And, uh, you know, the hectic cheese just does what he does. Uh, good stuff. And of course, you know, Nico Hines have it. He's just having that year, isn't he? Uh, those years where um, he gets to add zeros to his contract, uh, contract value and, um, you know, set tongues of wagging. So some of the passes that he, that he put on, I thought were, were, were pretty spectacular as well. So yeah, that Melbourne storm rugby league al- algorithm just doesn't stop. Actually, I probably should have mentioned when I was doing the Titans that um, Jaden Campbell, son of Preston, made his debut, the first father-son combo in Titans history. I thought he looked really good. Yeah, good um, stuff. Jaden Campbell, not a, not a lot of him, but um, he had a great try-saving tackle on Nico Hines, uh, of all people. A couple of nice moments through the match. He looked sort of looked lively, looked busy. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, see a bit more of him down the track. Yeah, a father-son uh, combo for the Titans. That's that's pretty early for such a young club, I think. So, mm. you know, well done to them. That's a pretty good story. Yeah, or well, 07, I think, was their, their first year. It's only yeah. been around, not even 15 years. Um, actually, Jack Johns became the, I think, one of the first Newcastle father-son combo. Yeah, um, it was. It was. They mentioned that on the TV commentary. Matty Johns' sons here, two in, uh, two in two days. Um, anyway, I know you've been waiting for this one. Let's talk about Friday night at Leichhardt Oval, the eighth, the eighth wonder. Um, I was actually, I was driving out um, to Cogra on Thursday night listening to Triple M and they were doing in the um, in the coverage, uh, Ryan Girdler came in to, to join the end of the, the uh, Mark Guy show and they were doing which team this weekend do you think is the best chance of an upset and I think MG said, oh, maybe Brisbane, like they'll be up for this game tonight and um, Gerd said, I think, I think the Panthers, like I know they're missing eight first graders. It's half their team, you know, but they, you know, they've got a lot of depth. They'll be going well in reserve grade. I think they can spring an upset at, at Leichhardt. And the host goes, Gerd's Panthers are a dollar forty-five favourites. And Gerd said, "You're joking." I'll say Tigers then. Like he couldn't, he could not, <laughs> could not fathom that Penrith were were the bookies' favourites. And um, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised having watched the way the game panned out that uh, the Panthers were such short favourites. But um, you got to give credit to to the Tigers that's their it was their first time winning two in a row this year and um, Penrith obviously with players out had the uh, the reputation so um, you know Tigers earned their win yeah like they they earned their win and I, I don't want to take any polish off it it was a it was a great wing it was it was uh, kind of spiteful at times as well which you know that's fine as long as it as long as it's contained which which it was um yeah, I was really surprised that the Panthers were favourites. I thought the, the 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 you know the punting public and the viewing public, whatever, would have gone all in on the Tigers because just the the sheer weight of outs for, for the Panthers was you know insurmountable, right? Like eight, I think eight eight altogether, which is you know more than half the starting lineup. It's it's pretty hard to replace that in a team, and and you know it doesn't matter if you're coming up against you know a cellar dweller or a top performer. That's always going to be tough to to string a wing together. So. 
Um, yeah, like good on the Tigers for the upset, even though I don't think it was an upset at all. I, I, if the Tigers had lost this one, I, I think I would have been thoroughly disappointed and, and so would the rest of the disgruntled fans as well. So um, it was fun to watch. Like, it's not like the Tigers were dominant the whole time. They were kind of, the first half was kind of like a basketball match. Like it felt like it was all, it was all end play. There wasn't much like play in the middle of the field. There was a lot of end-to-end stuff, which, um, or times where either team was camped down um, in the other team's red zone. Um, it was uh, it was fun to watch, like I said, but the, the Tigers, I reckon around the 50th minute mark, when it was 10-0 and it went to 10-6, I easily could have seen them throwing the game away from that point because they were just making like tons of silly errors. They were just giving away um, six against. They were, you know, they were not absorbing pressure well and they were really coughing up possession um, and it easily could have gone the other way, but, you know, good for them. They stuck solid and, and came away with a win. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's good to get two in a row, that's for sure. And I'm sure uh, everyone will gloss over the fact that Penrith were missing half their team. The Tigers are responsible for stopping that winning streak, so good for them. I can't believe how many penalties the Tigers gave away. Like, what are we, three or four weeks into this crackdown? And they were just high tackle after high tackle. And not, you know, reckless, wild swinging arms and, and you know, clotheslines, coat hanger sort of tackles, but just tackles that slipped up and caught blokes across the jaw and, you know, not sin bin sort of stuff, but just constantly getting penalised for, for high shots. And, um, yeah, lucky Penrith are missing so many players because they really would have threatened to invite a team back in. Yeah, exactly. So we've all seen the Tigers throw, uh, you know, big leads away and close leads away. And I I don't think this game um, would have been any different. Uh, But, you know, like I said, they held on. I really want to, it was really good to see Jacob Little get that runaway try. I know he's had, like, he had a great game regardless, but watching him get that ball and run from 90 metres out, I was fully expecting him to collapse halfway through, like his knees to buckle or something like that. I was actually quite, quite worried, but um, I didn't think he had the speed to to actually get the try as well. So that was great to see. Uh, but then when, when the when the Tigers went on with it, it was um yeah it was it was very enjoyable to watch. I thought Luke Brooks had a, had a, another really really good game. Like I, I said a couple of weeks ago, um, when I uh, suggested that Luke Brooks and the Tigers part ways, I take that back completely <laughs> because he's probably the best player I've ever seen. Um, but where I I, I said he I don't think he's a dominant half, and I don't know whether like I don't mean to say that in that his play is not dominant, but he doesn't seem like he's got a big voice on the field. And I'm not on the field, so what would I know? But there were shots of that game of him yelling at people. And that's that's really encouraging to see from a, a like your purely Tigers fans' point of view is to see the halfback barking orders. One looking looking passionate and determined, but also telling other people where to go because he's running the team. So great signs there. And I think his last couple of games have been excellent. Um, and if he keeps that up, you know he'll recapture that 2019 form that saw him halfback of the year. Yeah, I'm just on Little, I saw a few people on social suggesting it was the slowest 100-metre try of all time. Little's he's, got, <laughs> he's sharp. He's got some wheels there, Little. I think there was some Telstra tracker data the other week. He tipped over uh, 35k kilometres per hour, which even, you know, the uh, Josh Adokar and Jason Saab, I think, are the quickest at about 38. So he's, um, you know, he's in the, the top five of the week the other week, and I haven't seen it for this week, but he probably will be um, again. It's probably more the, the longevity to to outlast, who was it, Burton and someone else chasing him to, to mm. I think he sort of got 20, 30 metres, was expecting to be tackled and sort of looked up and he looked around and went, I might have to keep running here. And that's when he sort of <laughs> got the second win and started like really sort of yeah. put, putting the foot down. But yeah, I mean, just... We all know what what injuries he's had, just shocking knee injuries, shocking luck with injury, just full blowouts and, and reconstructions. So, um, yeah, seeing him in, in full flight, it's just, I guess, a testament to how hard he's worked on his recovery and his fitness. Yep, agreed. What did you think? Um, I saw some of the interviews with Matt Burton post-game and he seemed pretty down on himself. He seemed to have it. He seemed 
he it looked like he felt completely responsible for the loss and that he didn't step up or steer the team around well enough. What were your thoughts on him? I thought, I thought they did. They they probably, I mean, James Fisher-Harris had a phenomenal game and they had quite a few good forwards still there with the players they were missing. And they, before the game got away from it at the end, they, they had enough attacking chances to have scored a few more points if the halves had a bit more polish to them. I don't think... I don't think Tyron May is a seven and I don't think ideally he's even a six. Um, Matt Burton probably is more of a six than a, a seven, but um, probably should have been you know, calling most of the shots. But between the two of them, they needed to find some more some more polish on the end of sets. I mean, Burton, I think, has probably suffered a little bit from having played in the centres so much this year, even though he was in the halves. I think it was around two or around three, they beat Melbourne. Um, and he was really good. Around three, I think it was. He, he's really good. Then, but yeah, he's been focusing on centre since then. And um, I was off to the dogs uh, next year to probably play um, six. But so it's not like a chance that he needed to to play well for a contract. But I think it was a rare chance to start in his preferred spot, and he would have really been disappointed not to ice a few more of those chances and you know, either come up with some some repeat sets or a few tries from the, the attacking ball. So I don't think he had a, a terrible game, but um, they're probably just a little bit um, out of sorts for for what you'd want from a, a playmaker in a NRL game. Yeah, perhaps he wasn't as as, uh, as dominant as he thought he should have been or expected himself to be just through, yeah, like you said, how he's played previously. But I thought, like, I, I mean, I haven't heard anybody calling him out for a poor game, um, but he definitely acted like he thought he had a terrible game, and I thought that was pretty unfair because, you know, like we were just saying, it's not his – he hasn't been playing there for, in that position for a while. But I thought, like, his running game was quite strong. He scored their only try. Um, yeah, it was it was a decent match from him. He did some good stuff and still, you know, his long kicks were, were still good. I mean, it's just probably not as good as he would have liked it to be for the, the standards mm. that he sets, which I guess is what you want from a, a premier half. Um, certainly if you're the Bulldogs looking at that, you'd want him to be disappointed at, you know, I mean, just the fact that they lost. I mean, they won 12 in a row. I think it was the first career loss for Spencer Lenniou, who played a fair bit last year. He'd never lost a game in, in NRL before it gets just absurd how much this team's been winning i feel like i'm not i wasn't invested in it either way really but it's it's a little bit disappointing that it's this winning runs come unstuck with eight first graders missing like it even though the tigers played well and, and earned the win you you kind of wanted a team to have to play really amazingly well with, against a full strength team to bring yeah. the winning run undone yeah, I, I agree. But I, I do think that this has probably done the Panthers a favor in that the longer that streak goes on, the more I guess the more nervous you might be about about breaking it, especially if that gets like, imagine if they'd gone through the end of the season and they were in the grand final having not lost a game. Mm. Like the pressure to win a grand final is already immense and just the, the pressure to avoid the embarrassment of, you know, winning every single game except for the one that matters, um, I think would have been just another another element that you wouldn't need, want to have to deal with. So I think breaking the streak, yeah, disappointing that it didn't, it didn't happen under, like you said, when you have to play their best team, but... I think for the Panthers, it will probably work out better in the long run anyway. Yeah, I certainly don't think anyone's about to uh, put the, the red pen through them based on uh, based on one loss with half the team out. Yeah. Um, anyway, one game to go. Thursday night, 52-24, to 24, the Dragons over the Broncos at Cogra. Um, Broncos, I think, were up 18-12 to 12 late in the first half and then just capitulated Dragons, to their credit, extremely strong and, and ran away with a huge win. I'll tell you what. Jermaine Osako, like it's rare that uh, a one player can sort of uh, cause such a swing in momentum around a game, but that one moment at the, the death of the first half when it was 18 all from a pretty entertaining to and fro match where it basically went try for try for the first half 
And then to just let a ball sit there in the in goal with 10 seconds to go before the siren without just, you know, all you had to do was dive on it, kick it out. A lot's been said over the weekend about it. And Matt Dufty's like streaks through that, in my opinion, changed the game completely because um, it, it just, it put the Broncos in front and then, Obviously, it messed around with a psycho's head because when he when he came out to the second half, and he burnt their captain's challenge immediately on a silly call, and then just wasn't really in the game from that point on. Then the Dragons got out. Sorry, then the Broncos had a sim binning, and it was all you know, forget about it, game over. I thought that was um, opportunity lost for the Broncos because they were definitely in it for that first half. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge turning point, and um, Kevin Walters mentioned it after the game. Poor old Izarko got the hook. I think fifteen minutes from full time. It, it wasn't, yeah, you know, it wasn't his best. But I, I don't know. I just don't know what he's thinking. Like it was only seconds to go to half time, so I don't know if he was thinking. I hope this goes dead, so we don't concede a dropout because they wouldn't have even had to have taken the dropouts. Only hmm. a few seconds till, till the siren, or maybe he just kind of got a bit wrong-footed and, and lost his awareness and didn't realize Dufty was streaking through, and then it was sort of all over in a, a flash. So, um, yeah, it was a, a huge moment and uh, and a costly mistake, but um, I'm sure you'll learn from it. Um. Dragons themselves, um, I mean, a few, few stats on this one. It's the most points ever scored in a game by a team coached by Anthony Griffin, which I find remarkable. He was at Broncos for quite a long time. He's sort of known as a, a defensive-minded coach and not known for this sort of open, sort of enterprising football. So um, the highest ever score by a, a Griffin coach team was 50 points to I think it was 20 something by the Broncos back in like 2012 or 2013. Um, so mm-hmm. 52, a new all time record for a Griffin coach side. So, um, yeah, I guess after they've only, I think they lost six of their past seven, the Dragons. So, um, yeah, good to get back in the winner's circle in a big way. Yeah, I also heard it was something like St. George Illawarra's highest score at Cogra, I think, as well. So, mm-hmm. since 1999. Um, so yeah, a really, a really high scoring and entertaining affair for, for the Dragons fans. I thought, you know, Ben Hunt had an excellent game. Like he, he was really, um, he really brought his kicking game and I thought his defensive game was, was, and his attack he, all around. He had a great game. How's that? Yeah. Um, yeah. um, and I think since he's had a, he's had a couple of tough seasons, it's really good to see him stand up. Maybe he's just, you know, showing, uh, showing the origin selectors what they're missing out on. Because um, I thought, you know, he, he snapped a 40-20 out of nowhere, which, again, just shows what a great playmaker he is. Mm. Um, a great and, yeah, but conversely, I thought uh, Kelly in the halves for the Broncos had a great game as well. Like, obviously, the result didn't go their way, but I thought he showed some really good signs um, for, you know, their long-term playmaking future as well. So, yeah, both halves had a good game. Yeah, obviously, the first game back for um, Jack DeBellin, who was caught out in defence once or twice early on and then had some sort of solid contributions to a couple of tries uh, that they score. But, I mean, you can't go past Matt Dufty. I think it was five try assists and, and two tries. He, you know, obviously sped for, through for that try right on half time that you touched on before. But his passing game in the past year or so has just absolutely elevated so far from from what it was he's those sort of long scorching cutout balls he's he's gone from being a, a real sort of running supporting fullback who you know might probably cash in on two on one but not known as, as a real ball player to one of just the best probably one of the best passing fullbacks in the comp now certainly on form so that's a great point you raised about dufty let's we don't normally do this but let's dabble in a little bit of speculation you are a man in the know <laughs> one yeah. Why? Like, why won't? Why don't the dragons want him? And two, where's he going? I can't. I cannot piece this. So I was at this game, right? And I was in the press conference when the journo's are asking Hook, "Is there anything that can be done for Dufty to 
you know, to stay. And then we got Dufty after the game, we're asking him the same questions. And there's just, there's no answers anywhere. We saw Phil Gould the other week on 100% footy say that the reasons Dufty is on the outer is not football related. So does that, I mean, does that mean he has an attitude problem? Does he not get on with the senior players? Like we've seen that before with, you know, Jackson Hastings and and players like that sort of having to, to move on. Um, but all the reports are that all the other players like him. You saw the, the absolute stacks on the middle when he scored at the end, all the players getting around him. Um, you know, Hook wasn't giving anything away in the press conference, basically just said there's a lot that goes into these decisions and, um, you know, sort of avoided the, the question. Um, you know, Dufty, for his part, he was saying, you know, he'd still love to stay. He loves the Red V. He's grown up, you know, loving and supporting and, and playing for the club through the juniors. And, and you know, I was loving the, the Cogra fans um, after the game and, and, you know, just wants, wants to be a dragon, basically. So, um, yeah, it's a head-scratcher what the actual reason is but I mean no disrespect to, to Cody Ramsey but he looks a long way off being a like for like replacement for Matt Dufty at fullback next year so I don't know if they're in the market or, or what the deal is but um, he's going to be, be a good pickup um, for someone I mean possibly Brisbane they were originally saying they weren't that interested but I mean without wanting to pile in on Azarko he's probably not the long-term answer in the the number one I've got Tessie New up there who's played some fullback but Dufty would be a step up on anyone they've got I've heard the Bulldogs sort of mooted, but they've got a lot of money in their, their back line already for next year with Chotrich and then Josh Adokar coming up, who I think has been told he's got first crack in the, the number one. So, yeah, I would say Brisbane probably needed more than anyone. So that's, I mean, you're saying Brisbane should get in, but you don't think Brisbane are in the market for him. Well, apparently the, the, I mean, the, the better news-breaking journos than I, your Brent Reeds of the world and that sort of thing, <laughs> Come after, <on>. after, <laughs> after this game then reported that Brisbane were you know, based on the strength of that audition, sort of decided to have a little bit of a, a nibble. So there may be some um, some conversations uh, underway around uh, the Broncos and Dufty um, coming up. Right, all right. You hear it, you heard it here first. Chris Kennedy uh, declares uh, Dufty <laughs> a certain for the Broncos in 2022. <laughs> um, yeah, you heard it here first. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Before we wrap this uh, bad boy up, we mentioned Origin uh, a little bit. May as well, uh, Origin 1 will have been and gone by the time we get together next Sunday to wrap up um, round 14. So just looking ahead, what are you, um, I guess, your key talking points most looking forward to seeing, you know, key player matchups yep. or selections or what are, you, what are you looking forward to? I'm most looking forward to seeing uh, Jerome Luai in the halves based on based on all those tr- uh, magnificent defensive stats that you uh, brought out the other other week, but also Brian Toll on the wing. I just, I'm, I really, um, I picked him in my likely 13, my likely uh, Blues lineup. I mean, yeah, probably not, a, not a, um, a massive gamble there, but I just, I'm really keen to see how he goes. He's had a fantastic season and I just think, um, I'm just really, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him have an excellent game. That's that's what I would anticipate. But in terms of outcome, I know everyone's tipping a massive home ground advantage for the Maroons in Townsville. You know, we say this every year, but I just can't see it happening. I just think the Blues have a far superior team. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, like everybody in New South Wales that said last year. Um, I just think the Blues, I, I can't see them losing this one. Doesn't matter where you play it, play it on the moon. Um, I just don't think the Maroons have it, uh, can match them with the, with the players that have been selected. 
I do like the the balance of the squad. I know there's been some stories, including on NRL.com, just around sort of the number of options Brad Fittler has if someone's injured with obviously Tommy Turbo and Latrell in the centres. Pretty much any backline player goes out. Jack White on the bench, they can move players around to, to cover someone um, getting hurt. And then a few guys like uh, Cam Murray and Liam Martin who can play edge or play middle. Um, you know, a few different body shapes and types in the forward pack. And then um, Isaiah, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes in the 13 with the, the two Panthers in the halves um, on the Queensland side we know Pong is out I don't think it's been confirmed yet but we think that means Val Holmes plays fullback and Kyle Felt comes in on the wing the other option would be for AJ Brimson just to go to to fullback and bring someone else in possibly Hess on the the bench that would leave them a little bit short um, in utility value so let's assume Kyle Felt plays his first state of origin game and he plays it in Townsville how good would that be I mean, a convenient for him. He doesn't have to drive far, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, hopefully he does. I mean, it'd be great to see a hometown hero have a really have a fantastic game. So, but I mean, it's in Queensland, right? They're all hometown heroes. It doesn't matter where you yeah. play it. So. <laughs> but I, I do think it will be that that stadium. I mean, it was built, and then the, the the very first match was the the last match before crowd restrictions were brought in, and that and on that night there was all these rumours about crowds being banned because of you know this COVID thing on the horizon. So that beautiful stadium has yet to have uh, you know a showpiece event where with unrestricted crowds and full capacity and just a huge celebration. So I think it's I'm more excited about seeing that stadium to be honest. That like yeah. host host a massive event. Um, I've got you know I've got family in Townsville. I've you know everybody is that the town is just you know, on fire waiting for this thing to happen. Everyone's so excited. I think every, you know, if you're going to go there and find accommodation, you're going to have to sleep in the tray of somebody's ute. I think that every, every single room is booked out. The place is ready to go. And I'm really excited for, for the stadium and for the town. So I can't wait to see what it looks like. Yeah, I'm uh, absolutely echo all of that. Um, that brings us to the end of our Sunday session for round 13. Now, thanks again to Daniel Alvaro from the Dragons for joining us. And uh, Kenny, as always, thank you. Thank you.